Find in your Bibles, 1 John, it's one of those epistles near the end of the New Testament. An aged apostle writes to the church what's most important to him, what he has gained the most insight and experience from. The subject matter is love. After all, he's known as the beloved disciple. He's the one that had a tender and intimate relationship with Jesus that always kept him close. This uh, relationship that he had with God also benefited him in that things were revealed to him that others didn't know simply because of the closeness of relationship uh, that he had with his creator. And so this morning I've entitled the sermon, another sermon on God's love without measure. You know, uh, some people try to oversimplify Christianity and say it's all about love. Just love everybody, be kind to everybody. It's all about love. I, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, that's all, it's about every sermon should be about love in some people's minds. Well, I'm here not to contest that, but to tell you that's exactly true. It's about love, but the problem is the definition that people have of love is very shallow. It's uh, a feeling, it's uh, an emotion, it's a warmth, it's uh, a sentiment. But the love that is spoken about in Scripture is action, it's value, it's commitment, it's sacrifice. And this love is what put Jesus on the cross. Uh, but we have this shallow understanding. It's sort of like, you know, you all of a sudden you fell in love. You know, you couldn't help yourself. You had no intentions. You were completely just exposed to it. And you fell in madly in love. And these are the same individuals that say they fall out of love. Uh, that it's just uh, one day they woke up and they weren't in love anymore. Uh, Many people view their own Christian faith that way. They, they're hot one moment, the next moment they're distant from God. Then you look up one Sunday morning and you say, where are they? And so we're attacking this this morning from the idea that we might not know what love is. First John, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You know, we could stop right there with that verse. There's a lot here. It simply states the idea that we're supposed to not only receive love, but we're supposed to give love. And that, did you see it in that verse? That it comes from who? God. And, and, and the proof that you are a Christian is you have the ability to love. Well, here's the way my mind works. I know I can be analytical. But that means that if I'm not a Christian, I can't love. It means I really can't go there. I mean, it's just not in me. I mean, everybody knows that shallow definition of love. You be good to me, I'll be good to you. Or I'm attracted to you because of how you make me feel. Or how other people look at me because I'm with you. Or you make me proud. When you stop making me proud, I, I no longer want anything to do with you. It's conditional. But the definition of love 
It's without measure. It, it loves the unlovely. It, it loves those that betray you. It says in Scripture, love your enemies. That's not a feeling. And that's not a sentiment. That's an action. So as we look here at verse 7, John knows that when he's writing to this audience that they may be dealing with a shallow definition of love, but now they have experienced the ever-abounding love of God. They have received salvation. Their eyes have been opened to a, a greater reality. And he begins right up front telling them, Look, guys, you have to love one another because you're a Christian. Love's in you. It's now a part of your nature. You have the capability of doing what you have never been able to do in the past. That is to truly love people. Verse 8. He states it right here. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. I heard a preacher say one time that he really enjoyed church work. He just didn't like people. <laughs> you know? That, how can you say that you are a Christian and, and that this Bible and the truths that are here and that the Spirit is in you, but you hate people? You know, that was the challenge when he asked him. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? If you ask that question, something's wrong. <laughs> is basically what he's saying. And so right up here he says, if you don't love, that's the litmus test. You're not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you love. You love those who mistreat you. You love those who betray you. You love your enemies. That's not shallow. And we know that it has to be something that we have to think through. Well, what kind of love is this? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. Begin with your own example. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And send the Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. Perfected meaning coming to completion. And it was its proof that God's working in your life when you're able to love those who are not lovely. You're able to love those who mistreat you, uh, unfaithful to you. That when God gets in you, that's the way you are. Because that is the character and the nature of the love that God has. The Bible says he saved us, loved us when we were yet enemies. There's a reason why Jesus was on the cross totally abandoned except for his mother and just a few. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Capital S, referring to the third person of the Trinity. 
Verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father had sent the Son as Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That word abides means you stay there. It's not a momentary thing. It's a, it's a permanent situation. It's a permanent state of being. It's a permanent way you look at people. You abide there. You live there. Love's a good thing. Remember that song we sang in the 70s? I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And the whole thing was about it was a Pepsi commercial. Remember? It was all about love, that if we could spread that kind of love and the whole world would experience it, wouldn't it be a great world? Uh, I think it was the Beatles that uh, had that deep love song entitled, She Loves Me, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. She loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Third verse, she loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toby Keith said that the secret to writing a good country song is write down the things that a man would never say to a woman and put it to music. Uh, you know, uh, Tina Turner says, what's love got to do with it? We, we all about love. It's been written about, it's been rehearsed, it's a part of our art, but it's a rare thing. Sometimes in my own church experience, it's been a, a rarity in the church. True love. Love by definition, love that is by the Spirit. John had tasted it and experienced it. And so he wanted to tell this congregation, love is the test of being a Christian. We, we want revival, and when we say we want revival, we mean a full sanctuary. Particularly on a Sunday morning like this, you look around and say, where is everybody? We need revival. You know, and some people think it's a revival of preaching, you know, where we're preaching the Bible expositorily and the, the people are doctrinally uh, dedicated to preaching the old school way of the Bible, you know, that's uh, very uh, structured. And, you know, a lot of people want that as a revival. But I'm using the Bible, the revival we're talking about, listen, is a revival of love. What did he say about the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation? You guys have got church down pretty good. And you know who to dislike. And you know what you dislike about the world that you're in. And, and, and you, you have a good way of administering church. But I have this against you. What? You have forgotten your first love. Go back. As a Christian, we're supposed to have the capacity for love. Even the word we throw around a lot, salvation. If you, if you go and you look in the origin of the word, we see it has the very same origin as the idea of salvage. We're supposed to be salvaging people in our families. In our community. Uh, the love we have 
We think we're doing a good thing if we feel good about each other. But the true revival of love is a love for lost people. And we got a little taste of it Monday night, didn't we? You saw all these people here. Some of you said you went home and you cried. Some of you did. I know Nita did. It's just the idea that, man, this is the way we're supposed to be doing it. And this is the people we're supposed to be reaching. Love can never be silent. Love cannot hold back action. It has to take action. It's a motivator. It's present in you because the Spirit's in you. It's present in you because God placed His Spirit in you. This is your new nature as a Christian. You don't operate by the world's definition of love. As long as you're good to me, I'll be good to you. As long as you're polite to me, I'll be polite to you. It seeks out those who are not polite. It seeks out those that are abusive. Those who are in lifestyles that we don't agree with. And it seeks to salvage them. To love them. Show them the nature of Christ. Never forgetting, as John said, he who saved us, loved us. Now we go out and express it to others. That, at the end of the day, is Christianity. You know, the doctrine comes as the word begins to infiltrate our minds. The good deeds come because love puts us in a situation where we can do those good deeds. But really, when it gets down to it, the things that come from the spirit of love are genuine. That's the authentic Christianity we want. A genuine, authentic love for people. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, you can. If God's Spirit's in you. The story was told of a bridge tender who tended a bridge that a railroad train crossed. This is during a period of time before communications are what they are today, before we had cell phones. But this particular train loaded down with a hundred passengers commuting between two large towns, but through the countryside was about to cross the bridge this guy was tending. That particular day, he had brought his youthful son to work with him. His son, who's about seven or eight years old. His son is playing and did what his father told him not to do. He started playing around the bridge. And he began climbing on the railroad bridge. And he got stuck. His leg became wedged in the structure of the bridge. About that time, at a distance, a train could be heard. The bridge tenders there with the bridge open. But he knew if he closed the bridge, 
it would kill his son. The drama of the illustration is this. There are a hundred people on that bridge, on that bridge, in the train, who are going to fall to their deaths, or my son. Can't have it both ways. The drama of that particular story is the bridge tender made the decision to close the bridge so that a hundred passengers, totally unaware of the situation they were in, would not fall to their death. He sacrificed his son for the love of people he didn't even, didn't even know who he was or the sacrifice that he made. There are three points inside of your note sheet. We said we've got to talk about this love. There are three things that people don't understand about love. It's just not in their definition unless they are in God's word, unless they've experienced the love of Christ. The first one is this, true love, the love that only the Father can give us, must be expressed and demonstrated. It can't can't be silent. We are given very early in the development of the Old Testament, the story where love is mentioned for the very first time. You're not going to believe this, but where is it mentioned? In the story of Abraham and Isaac. That's the first time love is even introduced into the scripture. What is the story that would create why we need to talk about what true love is. God asked Abraham to take his son, Isaac, and to go up Mount Moriah. And when he reached the top of Mount Moriah, he was to build an altar and place his son on that altar and sacrifice him to the God he loved. As you remember, Abraham didn't know what was going to happen, but he had told his servant, look, I was going to go into the mountain to make a sacrifice, and he knew there was not going to be a sacrifice, because his son even called attention to the father, where is the sacrifice? But God will provide. And they go to the top of the mountain, but he told that servant, we will be back, we will be back. Remember he placed his son on that, uh, on that pyre as he's about to make that sacrifice and he's about to draw back his dagger and plunge it into the chest of his son. And the father said, Wait, Abraham! There's a ram in the thicket. A scapegoat. That's the first time love is mentioned. Did you know that very same mountain where Abraham and Isaac and that goat is the very same place where Jesus was crucified. Wow. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
He loved us. That's the first time love is introduced. It is the pinnacle of the New Testament when salvation, salvaging the world takes place when Jesus laid down his life for us. Sacrifice. 250 times in the New Testament alone the word love is a part of the narrative 250 times but in the Greek there are three different words eros phileo and agape or agapeo eros which is where most of us really think we understand it's what all the country music and all the rock songs and R&B talk a lot about we get the word erotica eros it's a lust you do good things for me you serve me you attract me phileo this is the idea of brotherly love we get Philadelphia from it it's the idea of friendship that as long as you are faithful to me, I am faithful to you. But then we are introduced to a word that is so selectively used that that is part of the understanding. It is something that is almost humanly impossible without the aid of the Spirit. It is this word called agape, unconditional love. Meaning, you can't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to lose it. It is committed love. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, verses 4 through 8. This love is defined for us. We usually hear it at a wedding. That's a good place for it, I guess. But nobody really wants to hear about it at a wedding. But it is what this true love happens. And when we go to a wedding, we say... God is our witness, and these witnesses are gathered that this is what we're going to approach. This is the kind of love that will help us make it for eternity till death do us part. Here's why. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is that a challenge to you? I'm sorry, I can't love that way you say. Yes, you can. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God in you. You can see, none of that addressed emotional attraction or sentiment. It was, this is how love behaves. This is what love will endure. This is what love will accomplish. It has to be expressed. It has to be demonstrated. Number two, 
Love must have a mission. Love must have a mission. Uh, True love always seeks to forgive, to reconcile, to encourage, and to celebrate. Let me give you that list again. True love, if you say you have this love, if you've been given this love, if particularly in the church, it always seeks to forgive. It always seeks to put things back together, to reconcile. It always seeks to encourage somebody. It always seeks to celebrate somebody. Why do we have problems in churches if we all got God's love? Sounds like it would solve any problem that we've had, don't you? Why is it that Christian marriages fall apart? According to what we see right here, if there is love and the Spirit's being followed, all things can be forgiven, all things can be reconciled. It's on a mission to get things right and to solve things. It's looking to encourage the other person, not critique the other person. It's looking to celebrate the other person. You know when you've been married a long time and uh, go through the nightly routine of getting ready for bed and you're both laying there and one says to the other, aren't you going to turn the light out? And he said, no, I got it last time, you get it. (laughs) I'm perfectly comfortable, you know, why, why should I get out? long ways from those days of opening all the doors for somebody. Long ways from being concerned of what our personal appearance is when we're around one another. That worldly love fades. That worldly love may start out hot, but it warms and it grows cold. Because it's built on Shallow things. But the love of Christ built on the idea that I signed up to be with you for eternity. You know, I have a hard time understanding why some people teach erroneously that the love Jesus has for us is based on our performance. How? That tells you they don't understand love. He's committed to us. But I also don't understand how some people on the other side of that could teach that you can live however you want to. Because if you truly love God, you don't want to disappoint Him. And you want to live up to the expectations of what He saved you for to bring you to the likeness of Christ. And I I can't understand why People, if they really understand the love that's spoken of in Scripture, why they would think God loves only us and not them, whoever them is. Love must have a mission. A man had had an estranged relationship with his son. True story. His son had taken off and he didn't know where. 
The father decided, I've got to go out and find him. I don't know where he's at. He'd been gone for some time. And so he says, by all accounts of the way he was living his life, more than likely he's on the streets. I'm just going to go to the major cities. And I'm going to walk the streets among the homeless populations. Maybe somebody's heard of him, seen him. Give me a clue where my lost son is at. This is a true story. One day he was walking underneath a bridge. He recognized his son's voice when he asked for a dollar. And I can tell you stories of people who've disowned their children. Because they don't like their behavior or their lifestyle. And they call it love. How? The amazing thing about this love that you and I have experienced, and we're told to love other people, loves people where they're at. And even after they come into the fold, when they stray, when they fall away, we're not content with saying they have their own life, they can live it the way they want to. There's, there's a commitment and a burden for lost souls. Love has to have a mission. It's not just singing hymns. It's just not reading Bible verses and giving Sunday school answers. It's not just having a fall festival or Easter egg hunt. It's wanting to love people. It's not being friendly. It's actually risking something. David, that that all sounds nice and theoretical. There's also something else in this passage, which is the last point. True love, you've all heard, love's blind. Usually that's when one person's good looking and the other person is ugly. That's why love is blind, man. <laughs> no, love is not blind. It's not blind to the truth. It's not blind to the flaws. It's a conscious choice to love them in spite of their flaws. True love never runs out. If so, it wasn't true love. That's why I can really like the passage that says, the truly saved endure. <laughs> they can't get away from it. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I think that proves my point, right? It says right there. Let me read it one more time. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We don't, see, here's the shallow kind of love. I'm not going to 
get involved in your personal private life. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the truth. I, mean, you know, I, I, I don't want you to reject me. And I'm not going to be the one to tell you. No, those that truly love you will tell you truly what they see. Nita has done this to me before. Going out in public, and she says, you look terrible. Comb your hair. <laughs> Straighten your collar. Or sometimes when we're eating dinner, she'll say, that's her sign I got something on my face. You know, if I could get offended by it, it's like, just leave me alone. But no, she loves me. And, and she, she wants me to present myself in the best way that I can. And so she tells me. And sometimes she even talks about my sermon on Sunday morning on the way home. She gives me some fine points. <laughs> Why? Because she loves me. She's right about some of them. So one of the things that we have to see is, is that this love is based on Truth. The way the world sees love is based on a fantasy. It's, it's based on narcissism. It's not based on the reality of I value you. And I've told this to several people in this church, and I, I stand as behind the holy desk right now to tell you this is the way it will be. You know, you may make some decisions that I don't like as a pastor. And we work off a democratic system in most churches. And, I, and I'm going to tell you how I feel about something or other or why I feel that way. And if you go off and do it anyhow, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to love you and help you fix it if I was right and you were wrong. And I would expect you to do the same for me. If I was wrong, I expect you to stick with me. It helped me fix and repair what I was wrong about. Right? That's true love. All of Christianity is based on the security of love. You're welcome into the family. Jesus told parables when a, with a lost sheep left or the lost son. What are they? We go get them and bring them back. The idea is we need to think about love not from pop music or country music or romance novels or even our experience. We need to see the true definition of love that we just read in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love that we now have the capacity to exercise and live in.